Hey, John, welcome back to another working session, man. Really excited to dig into the topics. I know we took a little break, so I think our updates might be a little bit more substantive than usual. But before we get into anything around business, how's life on your end? Good, James. Good to see you, man. Glad to be doing this again. It's been a couple of weeks. Yeah, things are going well. You know, it's springtime in Colorado. It's beautiful outside, beautiful blue sky, Colorado day, but we had snow last weekend. So it's been a, it's been a journey, man. It's been a lot going on. What about you? About the same, you know, we're hot and heavy into spring, almost threatening summer here in Northeast Ohio and uh, getting the kids outside and, you know, pools about to open up Memorial Day right around the corner, all that good stuff. So and uh, I'm coming out to Colorado at the end of June. So maybe you and I can find some time to grab a coffee and maybe we'll even record in person. Wouldn't that be crazy? So yeah, I'm Let's coming out do there it. for work. I'll be in town. Let's do it. Cool. Cool, man. All right. So I think you brought the icebreaker today. So the topic that I had written down was when is the right time to sell your company? I think the original post was Chris, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Bake? Bake? Is Bake, right? I think. Yeah, Chris Bake. Yeah. And he's talking about how Facebook offered by Snapchat uh, for $3 billion in 2013. They said no. Today, they're worth $21 billion, That be, them being Snapchat. But if they had just taken the Facebook stock, it'd be worth more than that. So he's saying the lesson here is always sell. And then your reply said, you learned this the hard way, should have sold when people offer me seven times ARR in 2017 or 2018 and regret it daily. You had some folks saying, say more about that, John, tell me about why you think that was a good deal and, and why you feel that way. So I don't know, what do you want to bring to the table in terms of talking about when is the right time to sell your business? Yeah, so to give some context to this, Chris has sold two companies to publicly traded companies, one to Zillow, he and I missed each other by three months at Zillow. And then he sold one to Indeed a few years ago. He's married to a woman that was that I worked with at Zillow, who I think very highly of. And Chris runs a company called Lasky, which is kind of in Credo's space, but they're more like they're doing recruiting for tech companies, they're like productized recruiting, productized recruiting services, something like that was probably the way to put it. Super nice guy. We connected a few months ago, but you know, I I, I was kind of shit posting on in the replies there, but at the same time, I was also being like, you know, real because you know, entrepreneurs, we build things. Most of us build things to sell. And I've never been, you know, private about the fact that like I build companies to sell them someday. I build them to provide a lot of value, to create jobs, et cetera. But like, I'm an entrepreneur. I like creating new things. I like doing new things. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, and I said that about the, you know, 7X ARR thing, like my friend, Chris Lemma, he always, he's always told me he's, cause he's, his companies, he's acquired a bunch of companies. And by the companies that he's worked at or co-founded. And he was like, he told me recently, he was like, he's like, John, never, never, if uh, you're looking to acquire a company and one of your competitors wants to overpay for it, never stop your competitor from overpaying for a company. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's fair. But also, you know, on the flip side, like I'm coming to believe that if someone wants to overpay is overstating it, but someone wants to pay more for your company than it is like technically worth when you do like a you know, evaluation or whatever, get evaluation done by a broker. If someone wants to pay more than more than it's like worth on paper, you should probably take the deal simply because it's not as simple as like company grows, right? So like a couple of years, if you, you know, a few years ago, I'm not gonna say who the companies are, you know, either, but you know, a few years ago, 2017, 2018, Credo was at like, I don't know, 17, 18 to 20 some, 25 a month, something like that. And we had a couple of companies come come in. We had that were 
couple million dollars. So we were doing about 300K a year. And so like literally being offered like, it was like 6.7 to 7X our annual revenue for the company. And most, and you know, both of them were kind of structured, you know, quarter million cash, quarter million salary for me to basically build out this, you know, function within these companies. And then 1.5 in stock. One of them would be worth a lot of money now. The other one would still not be worth anything. But I would have also had, you know, quarter million in the bank and then quarter million dollar salary and, you know, stuck around for a couple of years to, you know, to build the thing with more, you know, monetary resources, people, et cetera. And the thing is like now, you know, my business is over, credo is over double that, but because of just the realities of the business and spending a lot of our profit last year to try to grow that sort of thing, I couldn't get anywhere near that. We're kind of in that weird muddy middle where like when you're early on, people are like, oh, this thing has a lot of, uh, of opportunity. So we'll like overpay for it and basically buy you kind of aqua hire to come build your business inside hours. But once you get to a certain point, kind of between 300 and a million, something like that, it, it like valuation actually goes down because like you less profit, you know, on paper, because you're investing in growth, you're trying to get to that million plus. And once you get to about that se- that uh, seven figure, right? 1 million plus ARR level, that's where kind of the valuation type flips, goes from being like, you know, seller discretionary earnings, SDE, to, so that's basically like, your profit on paper plus add back. So like salaries and, you know, discretionary spending like conferences and, you know, coaches and like that sort of stuff. And then they basically apply a multiple to that. And that comes to your valuation. So versus once you get over about a million in revenue, that's, you know, where a lot of like bigger companies consider you have product market fit, then basically they'll just give you a, a multiple on your revenue, not like EBITDA SDE, but revenue. So instead of, you know, so if you're doing a, you have a, just do some numbers real quick. You have a $600,000 a year business you're doing 120 in profit, like just profit after everything else. And you add back a little bit. So you add back, say, 80K a year, right? So you're getting, it's not yet 200K, but you get 2.5X. So basically you could sell for $500,000 versus if you get it to a million dollars and you get that 2.5X, all of a sudden the price goes to 2.5 million, right? So 5X, what you could get just by growing the business, you know, that much more. And yeah, you're gonna have more profit and that sort of thing, but they don't base the valuation on that usually over a million dollars and over. So you know, when I look at it, you know, I still run, Credo's still growing. I've got a great team. We're doing cool things. We're rolling out new things. But, you know, the th- like I, I could have, you know, walked away. And if I sell Credo, when I sell Credo eventually, you know, I'm not actively looking to sell. But if the right, you know, price, if the right like offer came in, I would seriously consider it. You know, just like the founder of Hotjar talked about with Rob Walling on their show the other day. You know, I've always been open about that. But so if someone came in with the right offer, you know, I would seriously consider it. But like the thing is, even now, even if I get it to a million in, in revenue, the best we're going to get is probably 2.5 to 3, probably a little bit high as well. I could have walked away with that four years ago. So, you know, at, at least, yeah, it's just, it's, it's kind of a matter of time and all of that. For me, it was, I was just like, ah, I don't feel like I've done, you know, I don't feel like I've done this thing yet. I'm still, I'm working for myself and I'm really enjoying it. Like, I think it can do more I mean, it has obviously, but you know, and I was also like, I don't want a job. But that was like, I don't know, it was short term thinking. I think I like avoided short term, any short term pain, and gave up like long term gain. So anyways, that's my like experience. That's my take, you know, in thinking through it. But I don't know what I I just ranted. So what do you think? No, it's it's such a hard thing to think through, because it's so personal, right? It's what are your goals for the business? And there is no one answer for everybody. You know, I'm thinking about the interesting part about this example that Chris shared was, you know, the year before that, Facebook bought Instagram for a billion dollars. And at the time, that was unheard of because they had 12 employees 
and you know they had some revenue or whatever, but it wasn't anything significant. But that was more of a strategic buy for them. So buying Instagram for a, mil- a billion dollars at the time was unheard of. The very next year, it sounds like they're offering to buy Snapchat for $3 billion. And so what did they end up doing? Because it didn't work out. They just layered Snapchat into Instagram for the most part. And they started... Well, and they bought WhatsApp for $18 billion. <laughs> so I think it's like maybe one of the takeaways there is like when you have a strategic buyer, to your point, and when they're ready to overpay compared to market analytics in the current environment, maybe it's a time to give that some extra thought, if nothing else. It's not saying just go ahead and do it, but it's pay extra attention to the strategic buyer because they have motivations that somebody else doesn't. And they might not be as concerned with due diligence, you know, what you're paying yourself versus what you're reinvesting back into the business or some of these discretionary expenses that you're calculating. They really, I'm guessing Facebook at the time didn't really care. They're like, I just want Instagram. What do I have to pay you to have Instagram and not have to build it myself? And then once they had that, they tried to run the same playbook with Snap. But when Snap said no, they said, fine, I'll just build it. Like I have Instagram. I can layer Snap in Instagram. That was a different scenario. So it's just so personal and so contextual. But I think maybe what I would think about this personally, if I had that opportunity presented to me is maybe it helps to make that decision kind of a stoic practice before you have it on the table. So someday, what would be the right variables environment for me to sell? It's almost like gambling at the casino. It's let's say you win a, a bunch of hands of blackjack and you're way up. You're like, I've made five grand tonight or whatever. So I'm going to keep playing because I might keep stay on this hot streak. But I definitely have to set a limit where if I give back half of that 5000 again, I'm walking away from the table right there. No questions asked. Don't let yourself go back to break even or heaven forbid into the red because you're already ahead. So I might think about that now as like a journaling exercise, you know, a self reflection kind of thing. And it's okay, if I want to sell castaway someday, what point does it become a no-brainer where I just have to say yes, you know? And maybe there, maybe that's a dollar amount or maybe that's a life event. Maybe it's, like, hey, I'm going to keep cranking away on Castaway until my kids graduate high school. And then if an offer comes through, I'm going to sell it because I want to fund their education or I want to, you know, take a different career path or whatever. Like maybe there's some kind of triggering event. But as someone who's never really had a serious offer to buy a company that I built or something like that, I don't have a whole lot of experience with this. But I think that just going through it in a role play type scenario, it might help me to think about that decision now and figure out the criteria that make it a hell yes and the criteria that make it a hell no and try to use that as a guiding path until you know we cross that bridge. Well, it depends on the terms as well. Do they want you to stick around or not? Like you've got a full-time gig and if they wanted you to like stick around and do it full-time, you would have to make some very real decisions about your whole lifestyle, you know? Yeah. At the same time, you know, to extend your metaphor of the, you know, at the casino, yeah, you're up, you know, put a thousand in, you're up to five. And then, you know, set yourself a stop that like if you go down to 2,500, then, you know, you're out. But maybe also set a point at which like it's kind of a no brainer. And you're like, wow, I've just made what I wanted to make. So you go up to set that at 20,000, you know, and maybe maybe just along the way, as you're ratcheting up, you go to 10,000. You say, all right, if I go down to five, then I'm, you know, then I'm out. But if I go up to, you know, but if I keep going, then, you know, you kind of just that's your rule. You know, same thing, you know, when you're thinking about a business is like, hey, I have a $200,000 a year business. Someone offers me $2 million for it, I'm taking it. Someone offers me for a million, offers me a million, I'll consider it. Someone offers me 500K, get out of here, you know? Something like that. You know, I, I don't know. This is just, you know, and also like creators, my first like company that's done real like substantial revenue. So I was like, I don't know, I was super precious about it and very stuck. I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm building this thing. Kind of needed to prove to myself that I could do it. And now, you know, we're at, you know, mid to high six figures a year and growing again, if someone came in and offered me like, you know, 5X our annual revenue for it, 
see ya. <laughs> like, I, I'm out, <laughs> you yeah. know? But there is something to that, like, life event thing as well. Yeah. Totally. Well, and, so, and, totally. and it depends what your long-term plans are, too. Because some people would have sold Credo at that first offer purely to have the sale under their belt so that they can go to their Twitter bio and say, sold one company, building two more, or something like that. Because they know that makes it easier for them to go out and raise their next round if they're going the venture route or whatever. So they'll sell just for that because their long-term goal is not tied to this company. They're not as precious about it. It's not their baby. They know that long-term they want to go public, take a company public. And one way to get there is to sell a decent-sized company first, get that under your belt, use that to go raise funds to build something even bigger the second round. It's just so personalized in what you want to get out of it. The other thing I was thinking is, like, you know, there's no room for nuance on Twitter, but like inside of Chris's tweet, what I thought was like, I, I wonder if the founders of Snap care about that, right? Some people don't sell purely because they think there's more work to be done. And that doesn't always mean growing revenue. That means I think there's more work to be done in the social media space. And I think we can do something really innovative here. And I don't feel bad about not selling because I felt like this is my purpose in life or my professional purpose in life. And that work is unfinished. So selling that to me is not getting me closer to that goal. And I don't really care what the dollar amount is because I want to keep working on this problem and trying to solve it or getting to that destination. So nobody can give you a right answer. But if you go through the exercise and figure out what looks like, and I think Sam Parr from The Hustle has been fairly public about this. I think he had like, I, he did the math and he's like, what is generational life-changing wealth for me that I never have to think about money again? He got that number. I don't know what that number is, but let's say it's $15 million. And then HubSpot came in. his goal in was and, like 20 million by the age of 30 or something like that. Yeah, network. so there it is. So he's 29 and HubSpot says, we'll give you $35 million for the hustle. And he goes, yeah, sounds good. Life goal done. done. Now let me do whatever I want. And so it's nobody can have that answer for you. That's something you got to come up with on your own and then hope that you're in a place in the future where that becomes a reality. And then you say, hell yeah, let's do it. You know, and you work towards that, right? One, like the snap guys, we should get into our updates here in a second to not go too long. But uh, you know, the snap guys as well, like when you're raising venture, it's common second, third rounds to do, do a secondary and take money off the table. And Spiegel came from comes from money as well, you know, founder of Snapchat, I'm pretty sure. But you know, they raised, I mean, a ton of money, right? So like, he was probably already worth nine figures when they came into offer to buy him. And he's like, like the money doesn't make a difference at that point. It's just, it just doesn't matter whether he has a hundred million or a billion in the bank or, you know, net worth in the bank, whatever, probably not going to change his lifestyle. So, you know, at all. So, you know, it seems like it maybe makes it easier to say no. I don't know. It's, but you're right. It is, this is that you're absolutely right. Your broader point, it's contextual, it's personal. All of that is true. But I am really thinking that if someone offers you a lot more money than your business is worth, you should seriously consider it like 5x revenue, something like that early on, you should seriously consider it because there's always more ideas out there. You've learned how to start a business and grow it, et cetera. Like you, you've gotten the uh, the experience, at least like with your first company, you've gotten the experience to go on and do another one. So I don't know, seriously consider it would be my advice. Yeah, because I think even Sam only has a five-year non-compete agreement. Like he's just said, I won't start another marketing newsletter for five years. Like you take $30 million, yeah, I can wait five years and then go build the hustle again with a different, you know, positioning or, or niche or whatever. So yeah, I mean, it's not like you can't continue to pursue whatever goals you had, you just might have to take some time off. And there's not really that much wrong with that, you know? Cool. Well, let's talk about a couple of businesses that we might be interested in selling someday, like <laughs> farther down the road, right? What's going on in the editor ninja world? Oh, man, it's been a couple of weeks. It's been a ton going on. So we're up to five on the op side. We're up to five editors now which is awesome. So they're all, you know, they're, they're all great. And the op stuff I talked about a couple of weeks ago about making sure payouts were correct and all that sort of stuff, all of that's figured out. So I feel really good about that. 
we formalized with each customer kind of who their like managing editor is. So who's the person in charge of making sure stuff is done? And then who's their lead editor and who's their backup editor? So we always have capacity for people. And basically right now, what we're learning to do, because we're at we're recording this at the end, end of May, what I'm doing this week is I'm looking at, okay, what are we expecting for June? Do we have enough editors? Is an editor, you know, taking a week off? And so we need to like make sure that's accounted for, that sort of thing. So right now with Editor Ninja, it's all on the ops side, it's all about capacity planning and just figuring out what that capacity planning, what the org looks like. On the sales and marketing side, man, this has been the challenge. This has been the the tough part for the last couple of weeks. I rolled out word bundles a few, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, feedback from people about kind of, you know, they'd like to buy like a chunk of words to be able to use over time. And I rolled that out and I made it kind of the middle section on our pricing page and put subscription third, killed demo volume, completely killed demo volume. (laughs) So like I actually have one right after this call, but that's the first one in about a week and a half, something like that. And so I actually rolled that back yesterday and went back to single document subscription and enterprise. I messaged, want to buy a a chunk of words or, you know, talk about kind of full end-to-end editing, which I'll get into that in a second. Want to talk about full end-to-end editing with a managing editor, et cetera. Contact us to discuss, you know, what that would look like. And psychologically, this makes sense because basically the pricing went like custom for single doc, right? By the word, 875 plus for a word bundle or 399, you know, a period every four weeks for subscription. And just like the pricing psychologically just didn't make sense. So I moved it back to, and we still have bundles available, but you know, I'm not like messaging it way out, you know, just like out there. I'd rather get people on a call and talk about it. And then they're like, ah, I'm not quite ready for a subscription. Okay, cool. Let's talk about a word bundle, right? Like how many words are you producing? Let's get you a 50,000, you know, word bundle, whatever, which honestly is six months worth of a subscription. So I'm like, I'll front load that cash, you know, that's great. But I I need to have those conversations with people. So I rolled that back. So we'll we'll see what that does. You know, it worked before, so there's no reason why it won't work again. So, and then just a couple of other things. I'm kind of doubling down on Bento, bentonow.com, Jesse Hanley's company. So set up some, like some chat. They have a chat widget, like intercom or drift or whatever. And you can do like page specific or like page type specific campaigns. So like on the pricing page, have a specific, Hey, have any questions about our pricing? Like we're here to help, you know, homepage. Hey, you know, what, why'd you come? You know, what brought you to Editor Ninja today? You know, that sort of thing. So really once again, early days on that, but trying to, you know, just get some more conversations going, get some more leads in the door like that. Just trying some new things, you know, and giving it enough time to work. But, you know, one of the things I'm thinking about, this is kind of a challenge. Well, before I get into that, Something I'm, I'm thinking about is I've had a couple customers churn recently because basically what I'm coming across, James, and I know you're dealing with some similar sorts of thoughts at, at Castaway and kind of like how far does your service go, but yeah. I've had some people churn because they were basically like, I need a full, like, I need the full end-to-end editing, right? Like I, like I want to be able to draft a piece or a writer drafts a piece and, we pa- and I don't have to look at it. I don't have to make any decisions. I pass it to your editors and they do everything right? They clean it up. They like eliminate paragraphs that don't make sense, like that kind of thing. I don't really care. I just want it to come back good and ready, you know, and ready to go like correct grammatically, et cetera. But like people care about that a lot less. It's more, you know, is it not too wordy? Is it concise? Is it on brand? Like that kind of thing. I've had two people churn because we don't offer that yet. And this has always been my, like my thinking for the last couple of months is like, is copy editing and proofreading meeting enough of a need for some customers? Yes. But for others, it seems like not. So I'm really thinking like, 
how does that, like, how would that service look kind of the end to end? Like you have a true, like managing editor that's like looking at structural stuff, looking at arguments, fact checking, putting in links, like eliminating paragraphs that are, you know, duplicative or repetitive or whatever, and kind of going the whole life cycle there. And then it comes back to the customer and it's just ready to go. So it's not really the volume play as much, but it's higher value. And therefore I can charge more for it than just like copy editing and proofreading, which is kind of a commodity for the right customers. But so like with all that said as well, so I'm, I'm kind of testing that out and having those conversations with people and maybe saving one of the, the churning customers, potentially churning customers because they bought a word bundle. So they have a balance with us still. But with that, I'm really thinking about like, with both of my companies, Credo and Editor Ninja, like I feel like as an SEO, as a marketer, I've been, I kind of go for the broader, let's create a bunch of blog posts to rank for a bunch of terms. Let's create a bunch of landing pages for our individual services and that kind of thing. But like on Editor Ninja, I don't have like top level landing pages talking about like, I guess I do for like, what is a word bundle? But like the single document page is like literally a form to create a project and pay for it. I don't have anything. I don't have a dedicated subscriptions page. What do you get for that? It's my, I'm trying to make my pricing page do all of that work. And then similarly on Credo, like kind of what does that like second level of like landing pages look like before we get into the in-depth, you know, like individual services or use cases or something like that. So that's a, the thing that I'm thinking about right now for both companies is how do we make it clearer and how do we segment out? How do we help people segment out earlier what they want and the various ways that you know, from my perspective, they can pay us money, but like from their perspective, they can solve their problem. So yeah, that's Man, my update. Lots of, lots of interesting stuff in there. I should have stopped you partway through because I feel like I want to touch on three different bullets, but the most recent one you mentioned, it almost sounds like you would be like a placement service in that regard or like a pairing service where it's like, Hey, here's your assigned editor. That's going to do this more holistic view. And it's going to be big picture. Maybe it's an, maybe it's a primary editor and a secondary. There's like big picture editing, he or she does the first pass, then the proofreader comes in and does more of the technical stuff, then it goes back to the client, right? It's this kind of one-two punch. I actually really like that because I think, you know, it, it, from my seat as director of marketing at The Good, I like to do the big picture editing myself. I hate copy editing. I hate proofreading. That's just not, I think as long as a piece is, piece is legible and it doesn't compromise like your ability to consume and understand the material, I don't really care where the comma is, but some people do. And so I don't want to do that work but I, I like doing the big picture stuff. It's just, I don't have the time to do it consistently at a high level for the volume that we're putting out. So to me, I'm just one person, but to me, it's fairly appealing to be like, I, I find the writer, I do the writing brief and all the front end strategy, writer produces the draft. And then I hand it to a person who basically is a very highly educated, thoughtful person who understands my industry and my subject matter and can do the big picture pass, also proofreading. It comes back to me and maybe I give it a quick read that takes 15 minutes and it goes up on WordPress and we're done. I think that's appealing. I don't know how it pairs with the subscription model. I think it would be more of it'd be more of a, I think you have a core service offering that's around the subscription. And then during the demo call or something, as you go through that discovery phase, you say, Hey, it kind of sounds like you might benefit from having more of a big picture strategic thinker as an assigned editor. And we do have this kind of offering that we don't really promote, but I do have a landing page for it that and I'll drop you the link in the chat right now maybe this is a better fit. Does this sound like so maybe it's not something you outwardly promote, but it's something that is kind of a cross sell upsell. It's a pivot. It's kind of an add on, I think. Yeah, is, is where it might be. It's like, yeah, you're producing a volume of content. And so a subscription makes sense because you're producing 10, 12, 15,000 words a month. But you also need this other 
level, this deeper level to structure it well and make sure it's properly formatted for SEO, H2s, H3s, H4s, like all that makes sense, you know, all of that. So we offer that as well. It's an extra 500 a month, something like that, you know, that you can kind of add on. So, and some people are gonna be like, ah, I don't need that. But others are like, oh no, I do. Like I had one guy asked me, could I hire, could I just pay you? Could I just hire an editor through you to work within my systems? And I was like, we don't offer that yet, but no reason why we couldn't, you know? The only thing there, James, is like the subject matter expertise thing. Like I was talking about this with a, a couple of people that own a, a freelance community the other day. And, you know, I, I was kind of realizing that like maybe for the like structural, you know, developmental editing. So this is like the strength of the argument and is the content correct? And then we do a full job covering the topic, et cetera. That's not really a like an editor, like a copy editor is an editor. Like they're not like professionally trained necessarily in like MLA or whatever. It's kind of a senior writer that has experience. You can call him an editor. I don't care. As my dad used to say, call me whatever you want. Just don't call me late to dinner. Like, you know, I whatever. Yeah, editor. <laughs> they're a writer. Like who cares, you know? And they have that like healthcare or tech or whatever expertise, right? That like they can review it. And so they're the first edit editor they have there's like an account manager which is what we currently call managing editor and then we have our you know kind of like a, a content editor it's like actually editing the the content and and working on the structure and that sort of stuff and once they're done with that then it goes to copy and proofreading to make it like technically correct you know like i think that's how i would solve that that's how i'm thinking about solving that right now that is going to involve having a stable of writers <laughs> who are subject matter experts but i, I think i've got a solution for that but yeah, it's an interesting problem to solve, but it's also something that no one's really solved. So I think if I can solve it, it's going to be really like popular. I think it might force you into a little bit of a crevice in terms of positioning, though, because I think my gut feeling is that it would direct you toward folks who are primarily producing content in-house or with freelancers, but managed in-house versus with a content marketing agency. Because if they're working with animals or one of these other audience ops, one of those other popular content marketing agencies, I bet those companies are telling them, yes, we do the editing. Of course, we do the big picture editing. And to what level that's being done and how consistently that's being done, nobody really knows. But from the client's perspective, if I already work with a content marketing agency is producing the content and they tell me they're editing, then that might exclude me from being interested in the editor ninja offering where there's this more strategic vision. And maybe that's fine. But I do think that if you go in that route and you start to adjust landing pages to call that a deliverable or whatever, you could find yourself being like pigeonholed into, well, it only really works for people who use in-house teams, full-time freelancers, but it's all managed on their own for it to be valuable. Well, this is also kind of my point of like, you know, the kind of the top level pages that I was mentioning there at the end of could, but if the overall like messaging is, you know, content edit, like professional content editing, then it's like, what are you? I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm an individual creator producing thought leadership. I was talking to someone yesterday that he was like, I would love to use y'all for, I can crank out a, you know, a blog post in 45 minutes. And then I pass it over and y'all just make it sing, you know, he's, I'd pay for that. No problem. So he's, you know, he's an entrepreneur and kind of like our, you know, our peer basically. So there's that. So I'm a creator, right? Um, like Pat Flynn back in the day with Smart Passive Income, something like that. You know, Tim Ferriss back in the day when he was blogging like 2009, 2010, like I think someone like that level. Then there's the, we're a brand producing content in-house and we need this, you know, we need the full like content suite. We need it managed. We've got the writers. Maybe there's someone kind of like a traffic router internally, but they're not an editor to spend a ton of time editing. So they need the whole kit and caboodle. So that's for them. And then there's, we're an agency producing content at volume. And that's just copy editing, proofreading, volume service. So help people segment them that way. 
And then pricing is basically like, contact us, right? <laughs> Which one are you? Which one do you need? This one, cool. Let's have a call and talk about it, you know? Or just sign up because this is the service for you. Yeah. I don't know. That's kind of the, the conundrum. Right. I was going to say, you know what I'd love to see you try and not that you have to, but this is one thing I would think would be interesting is as top of funnel effort, having a quiz. It's find the editor ninja service that's right for you. And it's like a multi-step quiz where it's like, who's currently producing your content? Full-time team member, freelancers, managed in-house, content marketing agency. I write it myself. I'm an independent creator, whatever. Next question, how many pieces do you publish a month? Next question, on average, how long are they? Yada. And you go through and then you have logic built into the quiz where when they answer B for question two, it starts to build that recommendation. And at the end, it says, hey, it sounds like you'd be a a great fit for our bundled offering at 50,000 words or whatever. If you want to talk about that, you can buy it now or you can schedule, schedule a sales call and I'll show you exactly how it works, that kind of thing. I think that could be interesting as like a, it's almost like build your own service, right? You get all that data up front. And I don't know if Bento can do this, but a lot of email marketing tools are adding this quiz functionality and all that metadata gets dynamically piped back into their customer. And then, you know, you can market to them if they don't buy through email marketing that way based on their needs. Like that could be pretty slick. And I could see that being like a primary, like a button in your primary navigation where it's, you know, take our quiz or find the right service for you. Maybe some folks will do that. So I don't know. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because we're recording this podcast right now. I have a demo call for Editor Ninja in 20 minutes, and then I'm rolling that out for Credo. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> right after that, I'm setting it live. So starting to do that, you know, there, and then going to take, then would take those learnings from, or maybe I could just test both at the same time, do it on Editor Ninja and Credo and try to learn twice as fast and use the learnings from both, you know? Yeah, because where that came from was like, at some point, I should probably do a website review for you. But like, I looked at the services drop down, you know, I only look at your website, maybe twice a month or something when we're talking like this. And the services drop down has, I don't know, 12 options under it. And it's very to me as a marketer, it's oh, this is an SEO play copy editing services, proofreading services, blog post editing services, you know, it's I am very SEO guy. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But (laughs) as a consumer, I'm like, okay, well, I don't know, like, maybe I need two or three of these. So what is that? You know what I mean? To me, it would be more intuitive to like, Hey, the quiz would help with that. Do you need documents, internal documents edited, blog posts edited? Do you need, you know, your landing pages edited, whatever, check all buttons that apply. Okay, let's move forward. You know, that kind of thing. I don't know. To me, I felt a little bit of like friction between how I would logically think about how do I buy this service? And I thought pricing model, but then I was like, well, what if I would need three of these services? Do I right click open new tab and look at all of them? And then, you know, so, but that's probably a separate conversation about like, let me put myself in the shoes of the consumer. What would I do? And you know, there's just some food for thought for you in terms of website design. It's brilliant. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Let's talk about Castaway. What's going on your end? Yeah, man, I know we're running up on time. So let's see. Okay, Castaway updates. On the operational side, I think I talked about this last time, testing out an editorial leader, somebody to go in and identify the most compelling clips with a journalism background. Been working with her. That's going great. So I think that'll keep, that's freed up some of my time. Hopefully that relationship will continue and we'll get to a point where we can do one or two more of those folks to really get things humming along. And then I also published a listing for what I'm calling like a fractional marketing operations support type of person. So it's like somebody who who can write a little bit, and but really is let's keep all these individual deliverables moving through the production process. Let's work with the writers. Let's work with the designers. Let's work with the videographers, all that stuff. But I'm also thinking like I might split that person's time with some of the things at my day job or other small projects I've working on so that I can really like just go deep on sales and marketing and start to fill the funnel now because it's just little stuff like 
hey, somebody needs invoiced, you know, somebody needs to update the, the P&L regularly, somebody needs to produce this contract or agreement for a new freelancer and get it signed. That kind of stuff is like, just kind of fall into the wayside. And, uh, you know, client communications go into that bucket, status updates, things like that. So it's like, I don't, I think it'd be helpful to have somebody owning that. And then I just, maybe I have demos on my site like you do. I'm not doing that yet. So it's like, can I get in that sales seat? And can somebody else take that other stuff off my plate? So that's kind of the operations update. Also some documentation to go with that. Because as you bring more people in, you need to train those people and they need to have references. So I know what that looks like generally. I know that's probably like a screen share video with a step-by-step instruction underneath it. But does it live in Notion? Does it live in Google Docs? We talked about this a little bit, either the last time we recorded or the time before that, but it's I don't have a whole lot of clarity around that. So it's I do feel some like weight to having the switching cost. What if Notion's not right? And then I have to migrate all that stuff over. Probably a problem to figure out down the road and not a big deal. But yeah, something I'm thinking about there on the operations side. Cool. Can I can I give two two quick thoughts there? Yeah. One is on the, the process thing. You're talking about falling behind on the, the back office stuff. You also mentioned account management in there. Might help to divide it up between what are like the business things, business like operations, back office things like account management and I don't know, capacity planning and that sort of stuff. And what are the like kind of the the business back office stuff? Like what's like the operation stuff and what's the business back office stuff like books and invoicing and that kind of thing? Because you could easily outsource the updating the P&L, you know, putting together the books, sending contracts, like that kind of thing to a virtual assistant easily. Like my, my assistant at Credo handles all that for us. And my accountant handles like the, the books and, and taxes and all that stuff. Like I don't have to deal with it. I sign the checks and I focus on bringing in the money. So I would divide that out and then try to like get the business ops stuff taken care of by somebody else. And you could focus on like the client facing stuff that actually like drives revenue for Because that's where you're like that your higher value there would be how I would think. That's how I thought about it. Credo and it's worked very well. And then with the documentation thing, like. If you know that the processes, right, like you've got them working and you just need to document them. My take is that done is better than perfect. So start building it out and what you have, whether it's Notion or Google Docs, you know, we use Google Docs at both companies and then you can always get, you can always pay someone later on to switch if you need to switch. But, you know, a good enough process is better than no process is my take. Yeah, totally agree. The easiest thing for me to make is the videos, really. I just record, I talk, I navigate through the process, I drop that into a Google Doc or Google Drive folder and just say, go watch this video. Maybe I'll make a transcript or something like that. And that then they can have something very basic to read. And then just get just get better over time, basically, is the thought there. Cool, man. So on the sales and marketing front, I think last time we talked, I talked about selling the first personal branding service. And the thought here today is really around retaining and what retention looks like for that. So I think like the logistical stuff of facilitating the interviews and actually hosting the interviews, the questions that are being asked, like that all is going well. There's a little bit of like less than ideal output in terms of the deliverables, like the actual tweets and stuff that are being written. And I think that comes from two places. One, is, hey, I saw this great thread on Twitter, write me something like this. And I think a lot of people don't understand that those viral threads that you see, like they take hours to write. People people view it as just a Twitter thread and they think that should take 20 minutes, but it's closer to a blog post. There's research done into it. There's structural, like the people write an outline and then they revise it. They write three or four different drafts and they find images to support it and statistics like I don't know, it's closer to an email newsletter or a blog post than it is to an individual tweet. But if we sell the service based on you interview with us one time and you get 12 tweets, well, how many tweets is a is a viral thread worth? You know, so I'm wrestling with what does that look like from a retention perspective where maybe we don't commit to a certain number of assets and we just say we keep your queue full. But if they come to us with this 
inspiration, you know, it's just, I think that's going to get a little messy. And maybe that's an upsell. Maybe it's like, yeah, we'd love to write that thread for you. We're going to need three days and it's going to be an extra whatever, you know, 100 bucks or something like that. So I don't know. That's one thing that I'm just like, my spidey sense is tingling. I don't necessarily expect to have an answer today, but that's there. And then of course, like stylistic preferences with, I wouldn't say it this way. You know, I run into that when we convert podcasts into blog posts and it's, well, you know, a true content marketing service would probably mirror your style and tone better. But like, also, even those folks take 90 days to get up to speed. Like you can't expect somebody to know your business inside and out within one meeting or know how you would speak. So I think there's a certain level of like, I don't know, maybe the folks who truly want to fully outsource and have a fully ghostwritten Twitter or LinkedIn presence aren't the right fit for us. I would think of us as more like a really strong draft that you still need to put inject your personality into. And like, right before you post it, you copy paste, you give it a read, you change a couple of words, you put an exclamation point instead of a period or whatever and fired off like it should be very close. But it's kind of hard to really directly mimic your tone of voice when we get 30 minutes with you every couple of weeks, you know, something like that. So yeah, that's interesting. I don't know how you solve that. <laughs> I'll, I'll be, yeah, I think it's a bunch of calls with people to see like what people want and like what you can solve. Yeah, the one that strikes me bet that's better is the actually you do want the people that want it fully ghostwritten because they're going to be less picky and they can give you feedback. Hey, in the future, I don't use the term all things like all things web. I hate it. <laughs> so, so if I had a ghostwriter and they wrote that, I just let them know, hey, just don't use that in the future. And we have a living doc that's just like things that you don't use when you're writing for John. But the like, we write it and then you have to edit it and inject your personality. I just want it done for me. I mean, this is the same thing with Editor Ninja, right? People are like, I don't have to go back and make these stylistic choices or send it back to a writer. I just want it done you know, and good enough. And we can move forward in the future. It doesn't have to be perfect now. So that's my take, but I think you should talk to a lot more people. Yeah. That's the goal is to at least you got to get at least five or 10 people on the phone and be like, or in the service, one or the other, and just say, give me all the feedback you have. Let me try to make this appeal to the vast majority of folks. Cause there'll always be folks who are really particular. And maybe the answer is if you're that particular about your voice, then there's a reason you haven't made time to you know, be on Twitter or LinkedIn yourself, like maybe this just isn't the right service for you. You know, you can't have both. You can't like have it fully outsourced and have it be 100% your words, or you're really going to have to work with it over time and somebody will get intimately familiar with you and your business and then it'll get better. So maybe, maybe the answer is, hey, expect this to take about 90 days to really gel well. But once we get there, then you'll never want to cancel because it'll be so streamlined. I don't know. So more to come on that. And they put in the effort to get, to get you on board and to make it good. So like, why yeah. would they ever leave? Yeah. Yeah, I like that idea. And then the last update I have here is really, it's kind of related my personal brand. So I'm like, okay, I kind of want to do this 30 day challenge of just grow my personal audience because I'm tied so closely to Castaway. The problem is I've got the day job. I've got Castaway. I've got this podcast. In the past, I've been a big advocate for like freelancers and growing a freelance business. And so it's like, I don't know when you're such a multivariate person and you're like have all these different interests. Uh, I think I need to start with one or two. That part I totally get. But really, I'm just like, do you start with the podcasting angle? Do you start with e-commerce growth? You know, because that's the day job. It's very messy in my head. And I'm just curious, like I saw that you've got about 34,000 followers. And I know you went all in on SEO originally, and then probably branched out into something more closely related to Credo. So this is really just my selfish way to get some free consulting from you about how you've grown <laughs> your personal brand and, and what lessons I can take away from that. Yeah, so there are a few things. One is... To get to 34,000 followers on Twitter, it's taken me 11 years, millions of words written, a lot of thousands of miles flown, 120 some thousand tweets. Like it's just been a lot of work. It's been a long time. And basically I went from nothing to about 5,000 real quick. 
then over the next like from 2010 to 2013 let's say or no 2010 to like 2012 and then 2012 to 2013 i went to about 16,000 i flatlined there when i went in house and then over the last 6 years it's doubled but it doesn't really grow that much i think i've gone from 33,000 to like 337 or 338 in the last year and some of that's just cuz the audience has shifted i'm not talking to seos as much i'm talking to other entrepreneurs and and that kind of thing my group has changed my peer group my industry has changed cuz i am like i have kind of irish ghosted the seo industry and I'm more like in the like entrepreneur, bootstrapped entrepreneur, et cetera world. So, but it's, it's just been a, a ton of work, honestly. But I think the biggest thing for me that really expedited the growth was having a platform. So I was that distilled and could speak and was blogging on blogs that were well read. I was writing on Moz. I was doing Whiteboard Fridays, like uh, all of that, right? That's what expedited my brand, my personal brand. But for, you know, for you... So A, it's, it's just time and it's constantly putting stuff out, constantly engaging, constantly adding value. There are some people that are doing a great job of these viral Twitter threads and that kind of thing and growing really quickly. I've gotten lapped by so many people and I'm like, I don't even really care because I'm just focusing on business. I'm not spending half, you know, half a day writing a freaking Twitter thread. Like it's insane to me, but yeah, for you, like, I don't know. I, I, so the, the way that I would, I don't have an answer, but the way that I would think about it is like, What's kind of the, what's the meta theme that ties together all of the things that you do? So yeah, there's, there's the e-commerce side. There's the, like the castaway side. There's the freelancer side, but maybe you're talking about growth and you're talking about growing a brand, right? Whether it's an e-commerce brand, your personal brand via castaway, growing your podcast via castaway or growing your freelance business. That one, it seems like you can probably like kind of set aside because you're not doing anything directly related to freelancers. Like I would set that aside personally, but the others like both Castaway and, you know, the good is if you become the, like the brand growth guy, how do you grow a brand online messaging and top of funnel and bottom of funnel and conversion and all that stuff. I don't know. It's fairly broad, but like, it also gives you a broad set of things that you can talk about. That's going to meet the audience's needs is my thinking. So that's what ties it together. And at the same time, you're still James, the, you know, the entrepreneur and, you know, the former, you know, military member and dad and fisherman and, you know, whatever, like you're still a person, you know, that's where it gets tough. Because for me, it's, I talk about credo and digital marketing and hiring. I also talk about editor ninja and bootstrapping and early stage. And I talk about skiing and whiskey and trucks and, you know, all this stuff. Like, we're also people at the end of the day. So what's more important, I think, is like having a few of those topics, but then also like people want to connect with you as a person. Yeah. So like actually being active. Yeah, I think the it's not about the follower account so much. Like I know that's a vanity metric and that's not really what I'm chasing. What I'm chasing is like an audience because I view it one as a safety net. So if anything ever goes wrong, you have this audience and like you just listen to that audience and you have your next landing spot. But the other thing is like, I feel very strongly that people buy from other people. They don't buy from brands anymore. And so like it doesn't, I don't have a lot of attraction to publishing consistently under the Castaway account right now. Like someday that'll probably be somebody's job, but I'd much rather channel that energy if I'm going to do it into growing my personal brand and being associated with Castaway and having the trickle down effect happen there. So I think where I've landed is like right now, my Twitter header says I write about building and growing early stage businesses and I have Castaway, user input and freelance focus. Like maybe I even whittle away freelance focus and just focus on the other two. But I think that's kind of in line with what your recommendation was, where your generalist statement is, I just write about bootstrapped marketing, like lean marketing strategies for early stage businesses, people that maybe 
light on capital or whatever starting out, but have a bunch of hustle, like I've got a hundred thoughts about that to share with you. So if you're interested in that, and by the way, I share my journey, like putting that into practice, follow me. And then at the same time, like I get to be that uniquely that unique version of myself, that person or whatever, on the outside that likes golf and whiskey and all that kind of stuff that you rattled off. So I think that's where I landed. But what I like about this is I'm basically my own perfect customer for the personal branding service. So it's almost like I should just write off the cost of doing that for myself. And just if it works for me, then I can confidently get on the phone with somebody and be like, look at my account, I'll show you the analytics. Like a year ago, I was at 2000 followers. And now I'm at 10,000. And it's all been through the Castaway personal branding service. And I basically just ate my own dog food for a year. And these are the results I've gotten like, so yeah. Yep. Yep. No, I think that's I think that's smart. Appreciate your thoughts on that. I think we'll bring it in for a landing there. I know you've got a hard stop. You've got a sales call to get on. So hopefully you land some business yep. there. But our normal spiel, you know, working sessions.fm. If you want to go listen uh, to past episodes, subscribe, check out the show notes, anything that we talked about today, we're over there. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll look forward to catching up with you here in another week. Oh, yeah. Leave a review. Leave a review. Tell your nice. friends. Yeah. Help us spread the word. You know, we're transparent because we want to help people. So help us help people if you're listening and you've gotten value and you know other people that would tell them about it. We'd appreciate it. Tag us on Twitter. You know, I'm happy to retweet you, share, you know, take a screenshot on your phone, post on Instagram, tag us. I'm at Doherty JF. You're at James R. Sowers. Same thing everywhere. Tag us. We'll reshare it. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Feedback and questions appreciated. That's one thing that podcast hosts almost never get is like good, bad, or indifferent. They never hear from the audience. There's very little attribution or signal coming back. So whatever you've got, we'd love to hear. Awesome, man. We'll talk to you again in a week. Sounds good. See ya. See ya.